baby. That is what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you for coming. Merry Christmas. Yeah, very good. It's an exciting day to be able to celebrate and to be here together, and I am so glad that you chose to worship with us today. How many of you have all of your Christmas shopping? Proud, very good, all right. How many of you still have things to do, yes? You guys are just as proud, great job. I, uh, I lost my mind yesterday. Um, my wife and I, we literally decided, hey, it's time to go out shopping, all right? So in my mind... I thought, this is not going to be that big a deal to go out the Saturday before Christmas shopping. Now, earlier in the week, I actually read this stat, and I forgot about it until I got out in the traffic and into all the mess. But they said that on Saturday alone in 2014, you ready for this? Over $1 billion American dollars were going to be changed and exchanged in buying and purchasing Christmas gifts. $1 billion yesterday. So I thought about that, and I'm thinking, oh, that's good. And they said, one out of every five um, people actually started buying Christmas presents yesterday. I got into the mess. I lost my mind. We went to the mall and said, hey, this is going to be fun. And so we got out there and we had Christmas cheer. And we spread it for all. To... <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun. And so we got out there for a little while and uh, did some of the shopping. And it was a lot of fun. You parked way away from the mall in order just to get to the mall. It was just a, it was a lot of fun. And so I hope you at least are getting close to your Christmas and getting that all taken care of. Now, when we start talking about Christmas, there are a lot of different things that begin to happen. We have presents we have to buy. We have things we have to do. There's parties we have to go to. There's, there's a lot of different things going on. And typically, the, the scenes that we see are from the manger. We see a baby in a manger. We see that scene over and over again. Whether you're driving through Christmas lights and you take your family out to, to view like the prairie lights or something like that, where you see all the lights displayed, there's always a, a display of a baby in a manger. The question is, is who is this baby? We are a culture infatuated with celebrity stardom. Stopping in the, the, at the, in the lines, even at Target, you, you see magazine racks, and the magazines are filled with stars. And everybody wants to know what the stars are doing, where the stars are going, what the stars are wearing, and how can we be more like the stars? Even in uh, um, Hollywood, if you've ever gone to Hollywood, in order to, to celebrate reaching the elite stati- status of being a celebrity, you actually get your star put into the cement. How many of you have seen the stars out there on, on Hollywood? Bull- All right, very good. And it, it's not that fascinating. You see a star, it's in concrete, you're going, yep. You stand by Johnny, Car- uh, Johnny Cash's star or whoever else that you like, and you're saying, yeah, I've been there, look, this is really cool. And then after that, so what? Today what we're talking about is the star of Christmas. Who is the true celebrity of Christmas? You and I know it's Jesus. It's just kind of a given. That's why you're here celebrating. The star of Christmas. And something. Sorry about your guitar over there. Hopefully, hopefully nothing's broken, all right? So the star of Christmas. We, we, we walk through this and we, we talk about Jesus being the star. The last couple of weeks we spent some time, if you have your Bibles going to Luke chapter 2, if you also have your Bible and you can flip over to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be bouncing back and forth and I'm going to show you several passages today. But what we find is this, we did the lineage of Jesus. We under, wanted to understand who this celebrity is. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one that we're celebrating? And so we looked at the lineage a couple of weeks ago and saw the importance out of Luke chapter um, one or Luke chapter 3 and then Matthew chapter 1, we looked at the lineages. And then last week we started talking about the, the parents. 
And we wanted to understand who Mary was and who Jesus was, or Joseph was, and we walked through that. Now today, here's what we want to do. We want to answer the question, who is this baby? Now, in order to do that, what we need to do is this. If you're going to do any kind of research to find out who the baby is, you actually have to, to go to the eyewitness accounts, the people who were actually there. So we go to the book of Matthew, we go to the book of Luke, and they talked with and interacted with eyewitness accounts, and they talked to people. We want to hear from, from angels, angels who actually stand in the presence of God, and they, they give and they proclaim and say, this is who the baby is. We want to hear from them. And at the same time, we also want to hear from Jesus himself. Did Jesus actually claim to be the Messiah? Did Jesus claim to be God himself? Did, did Jesus actually make these claims that he, he, he is really one to be worshipped? Or is he just another baby and then he, that's, it's, it's all fic, folklore and fiction and, and made belief? What is, who is he? And so we want to answer those questions today. And so that's what we're going to do. Who is this baby? Why are we celebrating this baby? Should we be celebrating this baby? Luke chapter 2, you have your Bibles. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. Go all the way down, if you would, please. I would like to read beginning in verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and here's what the Bible says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isn't that an amazing statement? And this baby, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate Christmas. I want to say thank you for the opportunity together with my friends and my family and loved ones, God, to be able to say thank you together with other believers to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, remove distractions, give us ears to hear so that, God, we'd hear what you would have for us today. And I pray that you would give us the courage to walk away from this place, having been changed because we've heard from you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. So who is this baby? I'm going to give you three points, and we're going to look through these uh, different passages. We're going to give you three simple points. The points are probably, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you're probably going, man, I came to church for that. They're so simple. I knew that already. I could have stayed in bed. Hang on. These points are something that we need to walk back through and we need to hear over and over again. They're extremely simple, but yet profound. Who is this baby? The very first thing is this. This baby is the king. Not just the king. He is the eternal king. Look what... The angel said to Mary, remember the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're the one God has chosen. You're the one that God is going to use. God is going to actually place inside your womb a baby. And it's not going to be just some baby like any other woman has. It's going to be a miraculous baby. The Holy Spirit's going to infuse your womb and create within you a child. And here's what the Bible says. You ready? Luke chapter 1, 
Go over to Luke chapter 1, verse 32. And here's what the angel describes. He says, this is what the baby's going to be. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne. You see that? The throne of his father, David. Now, that's great, great. There's a lineage. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So did the angel think that this baby was going to be the king? And not just a king, he was going to be the eternal king. His kingdom will last forever. Now, all right, so we we hear that the angel says this. This is now something that Mary believes because she spoke to the angel. What about somebody outside of the family? Maybe somebody who didn't see... Um, didn't see the supernatural because that was, that's what Mary said happened. Do you remember there were some wise men in the story in Matthew chapter 1? There were, there were wise men who actually, or Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry. There were wise men who come, and they come from a different country. They're not even from the local area. They come from a different country, come from the east. Now, these could be either, and we could do a whole sermon series on trying to figure out who the, um, the wise men are, but let me just give you some simple thoughts about them they are either Medes or Persians or they came from Babylon some the one that I find most intriguing is that some of the scholars think that maybe these guys had studied remember when Daniel the prophet in the Old Testament was taken from his homeland and moved over into Babylon and then um, Nebuchadnezzar continued to raise him up into higher positions Um, many think that because Daniel was looking for the Messiah, that he actually created a school and that these prophets would have been, or these wise men would have came from that, that part of the region, having been learned and having taught and been studied under what Daniel started out there in Babylon. Pretty interesting, but either way. So what they do is they come over into Jerusalem. And as these wise men come into Jerusalem, now how many wise men were there? Were there three? We don't know, just to help you out, okay? Um, We always talk about the three wise men. Our songs tell us there are three wise men, but we're really not sure. There's a caravan of people who come in, and they come into town, and it creates a a stir, a grand grand commotion. Why? Because the Roman Empire had extended through Europe and had extended over into um, the Middle East, into Israel, but they actually have these imaginary borders that they don't cross and go over to the into the east. Why? Because the eastern kingdoms were very strong and very powerful, so there's this dividing line. So Rome didn't cross over into the the eastern kingdoms. They tried, you'll you'll remember throughout history, if you like history, Alexander the Great and others tried to actually go over into the eastern kingdoms, but they never could quite conquer. So there's this divide, and when the eastern kingdoms come in, the Jewish people were excited because they, they knew there was animosity between the eastern kingdom and the Roman, and these eastern wise men who are in the courts of the kings, they come in, And as they announce why they're here, look what they say. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, the old wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, saying, where is he who is born, what? King of the Jews. We saw his star and it rose above us and we have now come to worship him. Isn't that an amazing statement? They came actually looking for the king. Now, we do know that there were at least three gifts the wise men brought. Can you say what the gifts are? Good job. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I know that there's a kind of a running joke for women that uh, talk about how that uh, if the wise men would have been wise women instead of wise men, they would have gotten to the baby quicker. They would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, brought practical gifts from Babies R Us, including diapers, wipes, bibs, and formula. The whole story would be completely different if women would have shown up instead of men. 
Now, it is really strange that they brought gold, isn't it? I mean, this is a baby. This is a young couple who are not even in their own town. Why would they bring gold? Here's the reason why. You ready? It represents the kingdom. It represents the king. That they're coming to worship. You bring royalty to royalty. You bring something that costs you dearly. And a gift fitting for a king would have been gold. And that's why they bring gold. To represent who they thought the Messiah, who this baby was. Now, okay, so let's other people talking about this baby saying Jesus is the, uh, Jesus is the king. What did Jesus think? Did Jesus actually think he was a king? That's a good question, right? Because, I mean, if everybody told you you were a king and you grew up, did, did Jesus, as he got older, did he think he was a king? Let's look at this. John chapter 18, verse 36. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is standing before Pilate. And as he's standing before Pilate, he's being accused, remember, and he's about to be crucified. And Pilate's asking him questions, and he can't find any fault. That's what Pilate says. I don't find any fault with this man. And in the questioning, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting for me, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. He states, My kingdom is something different. It's not something I'm establishing right now. Did Jesus think that he was a king? Yes. Does he have a kingdom? Yes. Matter of fact, he tells Peter when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was taken, he said, Peter, put your sword away. I can call legions of angels to come and fight for me right now, but it's not time. He believed he was a king. Now, what about one of the disciples? There was a young disciple who had been trained with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, and he even wrote uh, one of the Gospels, John. And then he also wrote the last book of the Bible called Revelation. You remember this? And in Revelation, John is in exile, He's put on an island, and on this island, he's worshiping God by himself on the Lord's day. Can you imagine that? He's worshiping God, and I mean, I would hate to have to be the preacher and the song director. I can't sing, and so for me to have to sit around singing. Now, it's a good thing that nobody else was around to hear John, right? So nobody else is around, so he's singing, he's worshiping, he's praising God. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, God has something for you, and he's going to show you, and he begins to give him visions of the future, right? And as John begins to write out all the visions of the future, you get to John chapter 19, and it seems like all hell is breaking loose, and it really is, and the world is coming to an end, and you're going, what is going to happen? And then John, in John chapter uh, Revelation 19, he begins to write and begins to describe Jesus, this baby, coming back on a horse, and back on a horse, what is he doing? All the angels are coming with him. And Satan has risen up to try to defeat Jesus. And it says that there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Now that sounds kind of weird, but it's a figure of speech. Why? Because Jesus doesn't have to actually fight evil. He doesn't even have to fight by swords. Satan Satan's powerful, his demons are powerful, but all Jesus has to do, coming back, he just speaks, and when he speaks, it defeats Satan and all evil, and it's all destroyed. And here's what the description says in John chapter 19, verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who this baby is. This baby that we're worshiping, and we celebrate this baby who's in a manger, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, the eternal king. 
So don't mistake just because he's soft and cuddly and we see him wrapped in swaddling clothes that he's just some simple child. Number two, he's not only the eternal king, he's also God among us. You've heard it before. You sing, we sing songs about Emmanuel, God with us. But to really begin to become fascinated with, with this thought, listen to what happens. Angel speaking to Mary again. When he's describing to Mary, Mary, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a baby inside of you. In verse 32, here's what the angel says. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. He's God here. An angel speaking to Joseph, explaining to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Joseph is trying to figure out what is going to happen, what, what should he do. We talked about it last week. And the message to Joseph was this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, God with us. There were a couple little kids who were talking um, back in children's church, and as they were talking, um, they were working through the Christmas story, and they were talking about, and it was a little bit more conservative church that used the King James Bible, and so um, as they were talking, one of the little kids raised his hand and says, so who's the mother of Joseph? Or, who's the mother of Mary, uh, Jesus? Was it the Virgin Mary or was it the King James Virgin? That was pretty good. There's some confusion that happens sometimes when we tell the story, isn't there? Who is this Jesus? Is he really God among us or who is he? Is he somebody else? The angel told Mary he's, he's going to be God with us, among us. The angel told Joseph, this special child, he's Emmanuel, God with us. The wise men, when they came, one of the gifts that they brought was not only gold, but they brought frankincense. Why frankincense? Frankincense is the gift of priests coming into the presence of the holy God. It's the incense that is burnt in the most holy of holy places. And there's an aroma that fills the air. And as they came, they came to worship. And as they came to worship, they understood this was God in flesh. They're coming into the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so question. Did Jesus actually believe that he was God? Did anybody see the, um, the movie um, The Da Vinci Code several years ago? Um, they, the whole premise is about the Gnostic Gospels. The Gnostic Gospels are, are Gospels that were written in um, about 200 to 300 years after the, the disciples were really alive. And so they bear the names of the disciples, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel, and they, they have other disciple names. But they're written not by the disciples, but written two to 300 years later. And the reason I, I, I want to talk about this is because it was told over and over again throughout the movie that Jesus never believed that he was God. That, that was actually a fiction. That was folklore. And it wasn't until 300, in the 300s, that Constantine, who was a remper, who made Christianity legal, it wasn't until the 300s that the church actually began to talk about Jesus being God. Now, that's a great question, then. If, if we're saying this baby is God with us, and yet there's all these other people who are saying, well, the church didn't even acknowledge that Jesus was God until the 300s, did Jesus actually think that he was God. John chapter 14. There's an incredible passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 
John is the, the disciple, and he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus, what? Loved. And so there's this question and dialogue going back and forth between the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus tells them, I'm about to leave. And a couple of the disciples get frustrated. Jesus, wait, where are you going? You can't leave without us. And, and okay, it's okay. I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I'm going, you can also go. And in my Father's house, there's many what? Mansions. There's many rooms that you can come. And don't worry, there's plenty of room for anyone who wants to come. And the disciples say, Jesus, this is blowing our minds. We don't understand. How do we get there? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, you know the way. I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by who? Me. Jesus says, you know the way. Since you know me, I'm the way, and you trust me, then you will get there. And so then, then the disciples, their minds are really messed up, and they're trying to figure out, wait, Jesus, come on. And, and Philip asks a simple question. He says, okay, Jesus, whew, my mind is hurting. So Jesus, why don't you, can you just show us God? Show us God, and then we'll believe. Now, this is a disciple who's been walking with Jesus, right? Show us, show us God. And Jesus' response is what? In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, have I really been this long with you and you still don't understand? Philip, come on, listen. Whoever has seen me has seen who? Did Jesus believe that he was God? It didn't happen some 300 years after, but Jesus believed that he was God. He says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Theologians, as, they, as I read and studied and walked through this conversation, about God coming to live here, a God coming to this place, it, 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 it boggles the mind. You see, there are many in our society, and as you watch movies today, they'll say, okay, I don't really believe in God, but if I do believe in God, then I believe that there's a God who came, and maybe he started this, and he got it all started by the Big Bang or whatever, but God is, he's so transcendent, and he's so set apart, he doesn't have anything to do with mankind. And then there's, fact of Christmas that we're celebrating this baby, that God actually came here. And here's what some of the theologians said. Let me just read you a few of them. Um, let me read you, let me start off with John MacArthur. He says this, if you would condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these would be the words, God with us. We, are, we tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. The greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. St. Augustine, you go all the way back to the first, the early church. Here's what he said. Man's maker was made man. That he the ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, that the fount might thirst, that the light might sleep, that the way would be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, that the teacher would be bit beaten with whips, that the foundation would be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. J.I. Packer, he wrote this, 
the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed, to be changed, to be taught, and to be talked to like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation, God with us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Infinite and yet infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman. Almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast. Supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in the arms of a mother the king of angels, and yet the reputed son of Joseph, the heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. C.S. Lewis, in talking through miracles and arguing back and forth, saying, yes, miracles are possible, and others were saying miracles aren't possible, he talks about the incarnation as being the grand miracle of all time. Here's what he said. But you cannot possibly do that with Christianity, remove miracles. Because the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is being all space and all time, which was uncreated, eternal, came into nature and into, into human form, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. It is precisely one great miracle. And if you take that away, there is nothing specifically Christian left. I continue to read. And the more I read, the more amazed that I got by this simple fact. Yes, we hear it all the time. Yes, we sing it in songs. But the simple fact is this, that God did not have to come into this world. He could have destroyed the world. He could have left us alone. But God chose to enter into our mess and if you've ever thought about this, if you ever, ever felt lonely, or maybe you prayed and you're saying, God, where are you? And you've been asking God this year, and you're trying to figure out, God, why aren't you around? Where are you? Here's the incredible truth of Christmas, is that you're not alone, that God loves you enough to enter this world. In 3.16, for God so loved the what? That he gave his only begotten son. It is an amazing, simple, yet astonishing fact. That God loved us enough to enter this world. This baby is God among us. He's the king of kings. He's the eternal king. And one last thing. This baby that we're talking about is the savior of the world. I know you know it. And I know you celebrate it. And that's why you're here. But he is truly the savior of the world. Matthew chapter 1, an angel speaking to Joseph. What does he call? He says, your, your wife, the one you're engaged to, she's going to bear a son. You're right, it's not yours, Joseph. It is from the Almighty. And listen to this, Joseph. She's going to bear the son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will what? Save his people from their sins. This baby had a... A purpose, he had a mission from the very beginning. He wasn't just coming to be coddled with. He wasn't just coming just to be calm. He was coming to actually be Savior. To take your place, to redeem you. To take mankind who has been separated from God and to actually redeem. The wise men, do you remember what gift they brought? Gold, frankincense, and what? This is a strange gift. Because it was used in the burial rituals 
Why would you bring to a baby? It's celebration. Now, if, if you've ever gone to a baby um, shower, you don't bring a death gift. You don't bring a coffin. You don't bring, that would be, hopefully somebody would kick you out of the room, right? You don't bring something like that. You actually bring a gift that represents and it has value. And the wise men knew from the very beginning he was a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Aren't you glad that we don't have to come in today and this week and go out there and sacrifice a lamb? I'm really glad about that. I'm really glad that every month or every week or every year, we don't have to have huge sacrifices where we're cutting bulls in half and we're having to do all those things. Why? Because Jesus came, this one who came, who could actually satisfy all sacrifices and satisfy the payment of sin once for all, according to Hebrews. And the wise men gave this gift and said, this baby's coming for a purpose, to die. What about the shepherds? When I was in Israel, we had this moment where we, we pulled in. It was a, the first night. And I'm going to go ahead and put that picture up, if you would. The picture of the shepherd's field. We pulled in, uh, got off the bus, and it, begins to, it was beginning to get dark. And this field is where we're at. And so we're in the field, and the stars began to come out. And it got dark pretty quick. And, and the stars were really bright that night. The clouds had moved out. And so it was just one of those blessings. You're sitting, standing out there in this field. And whether it's the field or not, the, the angels actually came in that place. And as we're in that place, the stars were out. We began to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That was an amazing moment to think of the angels coming to the shepherds in this place. It was an ordinary night, a normal night. They're just taking care of their normal responsibilities, watching sheep. And yet the angels began to announce, and here's what they said. It's what we read earlier. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A what? A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. That's what we're celebrating. That's who we are. That's what we're saying. This is the one. Why is this so important? Because it radically changes everything. This baby, if he would have just been a king, the world has seen king after king. That didn't change the world because he was just simply a king. And you're right, God with us, there have been many people, many people who have lived, who have claimed to be a God. That didn't change the world. What changed the world is this, is a simple fact that God entered our place and he said, I will take your place and I will offer and I will give you salvation. I will be your savior. When we were um, young, we had Abby, uh, first, uh, she was our first, first child and she was a terrible kid. She was terrible. Now, she's a great kid now, but she was a, a miserable baby, all right? So uh, she cried all night long. Have you had a baby like that? Okay. And she's just miserable. And so she cried all night. We couldn't sleep. We, she cried all day. And, and um, there was, it was two weeks. And after two weeks, I thought we were ready to give her back. I really was. I was just, I'm done. If this is what parenting is all about, I, I don't need any more kids. It's just, uh, we were done. My wife was done. And so I thought, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to eat. I'll take Jamie out to eat. And so we went out to eat. And it was our first time to go out to eat after we had Abby. And so we get out there. And Abby, Abby was quiet in the car. So we're going, yes, God is blessing, right? We get into the restaurant. Guess what? As soon as we sit down, she starts crying. She just keeps going and going and going. And I didn't realize. Nope. Said, Heath, are you sure you want to have kids yet? Because it's going to change your life. 
Nobody said that, had that conversation. I wish somebody would have. We sit down to eat. Now, I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm playing with it, but man, this, have you been there, been this moment? And so the baby starts crying, and she just keeps crying and keeps crying. And then all the eyes in the restaurant, everybody's looking at you. And they're going, are you kidding? We came out for a nice meal. Can't you shut your baby up? And I'm going, yes, two weeks old, I can't. You know, and you're just having this, you're just breaking down, and finally we got the food. And once we got the food, I just said, pack it up, we got to go. And we left. The baby radically shifted and changed our world. And here's, many, here's what happens many times at Christmas. You ready? We've sang the songs. We've heard the stories. We've even participated in the plays. Maybe even we were the angel when we were a kid, or our kids have been the angel. We remember the, all the plays. We sang all the songs. But yet it really hasn't radically changed our life. It's just been something. Now, I am so thankful to be a dad. Let me come back to that. I want to have a good Christmas. I am proud of my daughter and I'm extremely proud of we have four kids so obviously that didn't impact us too much we still had four kids after that so I am it, there's nothing greater than being able to be a dad and I am so thankful for the opportunity and now you look through it and and, and in the pain and in the changes I welcome it because it gives me a, a, a complete joy to be able to be a dad now here's where we're at we've heard of Jesus being the Messiah we've heard of Jesus being the Savior yet has it really changed our world? And many have said, well, I've tried church and I've tried religion. I'm not asking you to try church. If you tried religion and you walked away, good for you. Great. I'm glad you're gone. I don't want you to be involved in religion. I want you to meet the Savior. And there's a big difference. There's a, a massive difference between finding church and finding religion and finding the Savior. See, Jesus didn't come to start religions. He came to start redemption and to share it, and to reconnect you with the Heavenly Father. Now watch. There was this old man um, in the Bible in Luke chapter 2. And he was a priest. And he had been told by God that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah. His name's Simeon. He, and so Simeon has been waiting. And he's been waiting for several years. And I don't know how long he's been waited, but I can just imagine going, okay, God, I can't hardly get out of bed anymore. I'm ready to see the Messiah. I'm about dead. And he's just waiting, and every day he's been waiting. And years have gone by, and he's still waiting, and yet the Messiah hasn't shown up. And then one day, the Bible says this in Luke chapter 2, that he was moved by the Holy Spirit to say, go into the temple. So he goes into the temple, and as he goes into the temple, there's this young baby who's eight years old. They were coming to have the ceremonial rituals taken care of, of the, the sacrifice is offered for the first male child to have Jesus sac, uh, um, circumcised. And as he enters in, he says, the Holy Spirit says, that's the one. So he comes over in Luke chapter 2, verse 28, it says, and he took up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. When the, when the wise men came, and they finally got to the place where the young child was, they saw the star, and seeing the star wasn't enough. And for some, here's what you've done. You've gotten close to religion. You've gotten close to church. 
And let's be honest, you could even be a deacon in this place. You could even have been a pastor. You can have been in a pastor's home your whole life. And you've gotten close to church. You've gotten close to the Savior. But you haven't ever fully bent the knee and bowed and said, Jesus, I give you my life and I want you to be my Savior and I accept your gift. Can I encourage you? What this baby does is he changes the entire world and the entire world has been shifted. That when in the middle of a war, in December 1914, they start singing Holy Night and they start singing about this infant. When they sing about the baby, what happened? It radically shifted their minds and they said, there's a reason for peace. There's a reason to celebrate. My friend, some of you have gone your whole year, you've gone your whole life, and you're still searching and you're still longing for something to satisfy your soul. You've tried drugs, you've tried alcohol, you've tried sleeping around, you tried everything in the world. And I want to just let you know, it won't be the amount of success that you get in your life. It won't be that new house. It won't be that new wife. It won't be whatever else you want to lay out there. The only thing that's going to satisfy is when you fall and you recognize Jesus as your Savior. And when you do, the love, peace, you'll begin to understand joy like you've never understood it. This baby... I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Give your life to him. And if you have, my friends, we have great reason to celebrate today. For he's the king of kings. He is God among us. And he is our savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for your love and your goodness. We celebrate who Jesus is. This baby, the king of kings, God with us, and truly our Savior. I want to say thank you. Help us to recognize and help us to celebrate and not lose track of it. In Jesus' precious name.